I mean, the, the newspapers always splash some headline like, Schizophrenic man attacks police. They never splash the headline, Diabetic man attacks police. <laughs> Lactose intolerant teen tortures house. <laughs> they never say those people weren't taking their medications. I know, I know, there are holes in my argument, but still. Hello, this is Jessica Lynn Jimeno, and you are listening to Flip Switch, the podcast and blog that empowers people with depression and bipolar disorder. What you just heard was a snippet of Victoria Maxwell's one-woman show, That's Just Crazy Talk. Crazy Talk is about Victoria's story, growing up with a mom who has bipolar disorder, and later, as an adult discovering that she also has this illness. In this special edition of Flip Switch, I'll be mixing scenes from That's Just Crazy Talk with my interview with Victoria Maxwell, a woman who is an actress, writer, and comedian. Victoria shows us that humor serves two great purposes, breaking down stigma and surviving life's heartaches. Manic depression. Scary. Unlike those cuddlier, friendlier terms. You know, batty, balmy, buggy, crazy, dippy, daffy, dotty, freaky, kooky, loony, loopy, nutty, screwy, wacky. <laughs> oh, and the O's. Cuckoo, gonzo, loco, schizo, psycho, wacko, weirdo. Food metaphors. Bananas, crackers, nuts, and fruitcake. My name's Victoria Maxwell. I'm 45 years old. I speak at mental health conferences and have several one-person shows about my own experience with bipolar disorder, anxiety, depression, and psychosis. Thinking back to your childhood, how did your mom's illness affect you growing up? I was about eight years old when she was diagnosed, and so I don't think I quite comprehended what she was going through. And then prior to that, her behavior was quite erratic, so there was a lot of walking on eggshells. And then from eight on, my mom got fairly good treatment, but it still was not adequate. She got medication, and it stopped the, the big, big swings, but she was still fighting a lot of depression, an enormous amount of anxiety. And so the childhood environment was quite unpredictable, and also just the stigma of having a mom that was in a psych ward for a time. Mom was you know, very fearful of anyone finding out outside of the family. So I, I was really influenced by knowing that there was consequences to people finding out if someone had mental illness. And in fact, you got teased about it, right? Yeah, I did. I got bullied about my mom and it was painful. At the same time, I was trying to defend my mom and try to defend myself. My mom's living in an apartment now. Sardine can, really. <laughs> And she's, she's doing the best she can. Mental illness has a way of coming back sometimes. But her resilience? Out of the park. I don't know anybody who could be this anxious for so long and survive. 
She's like a hummingbird on cocaine. <laughs> I get my hardiness from my dad and my mom. Hi there. This is Susan Resco, Executive Director of the Balanced Mind Foundation. I just wanted to butt in here for a minute to remind you that Flip Switch is the production of the Balanced Mind Foundation. We depend on support from listeners like you to keep this podcast coming to you for free. Please, if you like what you hear, consider making a contribution to help us cover our production costs. Look for the green donate button on our website, thebalancemind.org, and while you're there, Take a moment to sign up for our e-newsletter or friend us on Facebook, where we post flip switch podcasts and blogs. Our website again is thebalancemind.org. Thanks so much. Now, back to our show. At a young age, did you ever try to use humor to deal with the pain, or did that come later? Both my mom and dad had quite a good sense of humor. That's one of the best coping tools that they passed on to me. When did you first start experiencing your own symptoms? The earliest memory I have of experiencing symptoms, and I only see it in hindsight now, was probably anxiety when I was eight or nine. Really, when I was 17, I started dealing with disordered eating. It wasn't full-blown anorexia, but it was still definitely disordered eating. And that focus on food was a way of me coping with a lot of the depressive symptoms and the anxiety that I was dealing with. When I was 25, that's when I experienced my first psychosis. That's the first time I was hospitalized. I was in a meditation retreat, and I had not been sleeping or eating for a number of days. This in no way says that meditation causes psychosis. That's not what I'm saying at all. It coincided. I'd been dealing with a lot of severe depression, a lot of suicidal ideation and things like that. So when I was in the meditation group, after several days, I went into this altered state that catapulted me into a psychosis. So I was having delusions and hearing and seeing things, hallucinations. My dad drove me to the hospital and... And is that when you got the bipolar diagnosis? The diagnosis they gave me was a brief reactive psychosis. So for whatever reason, they thought it was a reaction to what I had gone through in the meditation. It wasn't until a few months later when I had another psychosis and I was again committed and hospitalized. That's when I finally got the full rapid cycling bipolar disorder with anxiety and psychosis. And what was going on in your life at the time when you got that diagnosis? I was working as an actor in film and television And I was doing fairly well, but no matter how well you're doing, when you're a working actor, you only work sporadically. And so I was really financially strapped and also working other part-time jobs to be able to pay the rent. What happened was that I was falling further and further into depression, and my auditions were getting worse. So I was getting less and less work, and as I got less and less work, I was getting more and more anxious more and more depressed, went on welfare, my life was getting more and more unraveled. So I was alienating friends. I was not talking to my parents. Even after the second diagnosis of bipolar disorder, I didn't accept that I had a mental illness. Why was that? One, I didn't want to have a mental illness. I knew what the stigma of mental illness meant. 
And also, I didn't understand that the way that I was feeling, like my moods, could be a symptom of an illness. I was afraid that they were saying that what I considered my gift as an actor, my emotional vulnerability and my sensitivity, was being called an illness. Did you think that through treatment they were going to extract all the juice from your personality? Yeah, I thought they would try to dampen my emotions. Right, I thought that they were saying that who you, who I was wasn't okay. And then I was also afraid that they were going to take away all those good things that I felt like I had derived in my spiritual quest. For years, I resisted. And so how until how old? I got the accurate diagnosis when I was 26. Okay. But I probably didn't start to really accept the illness until I was 30. My best friend drives me to emergency. And there, once again, I will be admitted to my mom's old stomping ground. A2, the acute psychiatric ward. By the way, there is nothing cute about a psych ward. Um, still dealing, you know, still deal with sort of mild depressions and hypomanias and anxiety, but generally functioning much better. and more creative than I've ever been with the right wellness tools and, and treatment plan. How does having a sense of humor help you? Having a sense of humor helps me survive <laughs> because it just gives me a reason to go on when I think that, oh my God, life is just not fair right now. It makes moving through life so much more enjoyable. How does comedy break down stigma? For me and my shows when I uh, perform in front of audiences, what I feel it does is that it makes people feel comfortable enough to ask any kind of question. So it's a really good icebreaker that they know that I'm not someone who's going to easily be offended because I am making jokes about myself. What happens is then people are able to talk about some of the misunderstandings they might have or ask questions that they think that they shouldn't be asking. And then the answers can dismantle some of the stigma. Humor has a way of sort of turning things on its head. An example is when I've spoken about how mental illness is portrayed in the news media. And everybody can say, oh, yeah, that's really bad, and they don't do a really great job most of the time. But it doesn't always hit quite close to home. But when I can make the analogy and use humor saying, yeah, they say schizophrenic man attacks police, but they never say diabetic man attacks police. And people can laugh at that and realize why they would be laughing is because we don't label somebody diabetic and a criminal. Oftentimes we'll label somebody that has mental illness as always violent. Bipolar equals bad. Yeah, exactly. Laughter works on a level other than the intellect. People learn at a much deeper level and are engaged on different levels, and so, and it humanizes things. Yeah, that's that's so true. That's amazing. Wow! Thanks for sharing. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Before I close, I'd like to quote the great comedian Bill Cosby, who once said. Through humor, you can soften some of the worst blows that life delivers. 
And once you find laughter, no matter how painful your situation might be, you can survive it. Stay up to date with the latest Flipswitch news by following me on Twitter. My handle is at FlipswitchTeens. You can always hear other Flipswitch podcasts and read my blogs at www.thebalancedmind.org forward slash flipswitch forward slash podcast. Leave a comment. Be heard. Until we meet again, this is Jessica Lynn Jimeno signing off and saying thank you for listening to Flip Switch.